blushing girl from blushing. The nanny named Fran. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Uh, uh, Miss Fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Oh, Mr. Sheffield, a podcast about The Nanny, a TV series from the 90s starring Fran Drescher. This is... Uh, <laughs> this is an episode of that show, <laughs> the podcast. I mean, not the Sean. Nanny. Sean, do you know who you are? Where you no. are? Where am I? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> How many fingers am I holding up? That'll be impressive because we're not on just, video. Just kidding, guys. This was all a bit. I'm having a midlife crisis, which ties into <laughs> season three, episode twenty three. That's midlife. Uh, directed by Dorothy Lyman, written by Karen Lucas, uh, who I. Just wanted to see what else she did. And she has most recently created a TV series starring Catherine McPhee called Country Comfort on Netflix. Hmm. Yep. It looks like about a country star and her family. Yeah. An aspiring young country <laughs> singer finds the band she's been missing when she takes a job as a nanny for a musically talented family. So how about that? How do you like uh, that? I did not plan that. <laughs> But yes, this lady went on to create a show um, on Netflix about a nanny. So, wow, there you go. Well, this and is this- the one. Yeah, okay. go ahead. Oh wait, I didn't even introduce us. Hi, I'm Shondi Pasquale here with Doria Sheffield. Off to a great start. Uh-huh. Doria, what's this? What's this episode about? <laughs> um, okay, so this is the episode where Mr. Sheffield has a midlife crisis, and I have to say, when I read that description and saw the photo like preview for it in on HBO Max, I was dreading this. I thought it was going to be just an episode chocked full of like Mr. Sheffield in like dumb, you know, early nineties, cool clothes, or I guess mid nineties, cool clothes, like trying to recapture his youth. And I was like, ah, oh, we've kind of been there. We've kind of done that. But I was yeah. so pleasantly surprised. That's not really where this went. Like it had a little tiny yeah. elements of that, but overall sure. very pleased that that's not what we got. No, we got a much weirder episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we were saying before this started, the record started, it, it had that little bit of that, uh, that Simpsons energy where the opener and like the seeming, the, the think, the thing you think it's going to be about is not at all what it's about. Because we start yeah. off The cold there, open has uh, nothing yeah. to do with the episode at all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it great. just sort of like physically sort of gets us to where we need to be mm-hmm. later for an episode to happen. But so we're we're at what was – this is a real place. It was called the official All-Star all Cafe in New York City. Um, and I think it was owned by the people who like ran Planet Hollywood. And the yep. whole Sheffield family and Fran are there which eating was, lunch. Which was Stallone – Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh yeah, that's who. Man, ran, that's time. who owned Planet Hollywood. Many God, people forget, God. but those three guys were the most popular, famous action movie stars of their time. They opened up a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, hey, as you do. Predated Wal Wahlburgers. That's right. <laughs> which is the Wal Mark Wahlberg and his brothers, right? <laughs> yep. Um, but so, which, I feel like a lot of people outside of LA might think I just made a joke, but that really is a restaurant here. <laughs> But so anyway, they are at this big tennis tournament. They're eating lunch. Um, We actually get a cameo from a then famous tennis player named Monica Sellis, who I didn't remember, but she was a big tennis pro at the time. And the thing that I liked about this setup and this joke is she's actually waiting tables in the restaurant and bussing them. And she opens a bottle of ketchup and she makes that like iconic women's tennis player sound where she's like, Ugh. 
where she opens the ketchup, which I thought was a great joke. But anyway, this is all a big setup. It was very silly. For Fran to be like, you know, I always had wanted to learn tennis. And Brighton is like, well, you know, I could always teach you. So all of that still has nothing to do with what this episode's about. Um, We then cut to the kitchen the next morning. And I love this. Mr. Sheffield is going through all of these papers, like Variety, New York Times, and there are big sections cut out of them and he's like Which we've seen we've seen them do this to him before so i actually instantly was like oh he must have gotten bad reviews yes. <laughs> because not he, he goes he goes niles please tell me you cut out all the reviews of my new show because they were so good you're getting them framed and i was just is like okay <laughs> um meaning that that's yes. definitely not the reason he cut them out so mr sheffield has another big flop and this was also a really good exchange. Niles is like, you know, sir, you still are so much more fortunate than so many people in this world. Some of them in this room, meaning him, because Niles is the only other person in the room. And Mr. Sheffield goes, you're right, Niles. Look at you, a servant. Been doing the same job for 25 years. No future. Probably be doing it until the day you die. And it's like, he's not even it trying was- to rub it in. He's just genuinely like, Having this moment of being of lost in thought of how he's, horrible Niall's life. <laughs> he is genuinely this disconnected with anyone that isn't him. That yeah. like he says all of this, out loud. Uh, not meaning out loud, not meaning any harm, and also not <laughs> conceiving that any harm could be done by this. It's yes. truly um, very upsetting. <laughs> and then he goes, and then and then he goes. But you know what's really bothering me? And Niles goes carrying that big fat wallet around. <laughs> But anyway, so it it then is revealed that what's really bothering him is that he's 42 years old and he's never really achieved anything. He's like, by the way, this sent me into a spiral (laughs) that I will never probably recover from. So this, yeah, this episode actually sent Sean into his midlife crisis. Yeah. No shit. I was like, he's 42. And he's like, well, and he's, and he's just, you know, just in one mediocre play after another. This is the real emotional. I was like, cross- at least you've done plays. <laughs> I know at least you've done something. But we, there's, you know, as we get to the resolution of this episode, we can we can make Sean feel better with uh, some things as well, though. Which yeah, which- nothing made me feel better. But <laughs> nothing will ever make me feel better. It is uh, a prescription for enough. Vicodin. Uh, but so. We yeah, also, go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, but then we also – I'm not even going to get into it because it's such a throwaway little joke, but we have a quick CC beat where we find out she plans to get herself cryogenically frozen, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we don't really go anywhere with that, but it just reestablishes this like – Which, know, by the way, older. I think – put that one in your back pocket for if they ever let us pitch what the uh, Nanny reboot or revival show is. CC in the future or I the think whole we family bring, in the future? I think we – no, I think we bring CC out of like – out of crowd. Oh, yes. like, that is great. I love that. Like everyone else is like just been living their lives, but then when we catch up with Cece, she's been <laughs> she's just been uncryogenically frozen. And they're like, why did you pick now? And she's like, I don't know. I thought this would be the future. And they're like, and, it's not. And all her jokes and like all, all her references will be from 25 yes. years earlier. Yes. Yes, oh, and we, like, make some, we make some joke about how it wasn't like good cryogenic freezing because she also aged. Yeah. <laughs> it's big. I love it. If a certain co-creator is listening, you can have that one for free. But not for free because it comes but with not, a price. Yeah, yeah but not, not, <laughs> no, not that much for free. It comes with a price and the price is us in your writer's room. We're delightful. Okay. Um, well. 
But so that Fran also comes into the kitchen at this point and Brighton enters and he tells her that he can't um, do their tennis lesson because he has to, you know, read a book for school. So Niles suggests that Mr. Sheffield takes Fran to the courts that day. And at first he's like, oh, the last thing I need is a round of amateur tennis, Niles. But then Niles, I wrote, I wrote who knows his little baby boy so well. <laughs> He goes, but sir, you'll be able to crush her, making her feel like even more of a loser than you feel like today. And so that makes Mr. Sheffield reconsider. And he's like, oh, right, I'll do it. Because he's so petty and juvenile that like he just really needs a win. Um, But it backfires because we then cut to Fran and Mr. Sheffield returning from the tennis courts and she has beaten him. And he is in like a huge irrational huff about this. Like he's totally – there was something about her voice when she walked in the kitchen here that made me write down, I want Fran and Natasha Leone to do a show together. Oh, wow. I think that would lot. be so, oh, it would be so, they would be so funny. Like, I think they would be great together. Anyway, putting yeah. that out in the universe. Um, Yeah, that, that'd be good too. She could be Val's daughter in the reboot. Oh. <gasps> That's uh-huh. actually genius casting. She mm-hmm. sure could. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be so I, right. Funny. <laughs> right. Actually, that's actually really, really good casting. Yeah, even if just for like a guest star for an episode, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> well, my daughter's yeah. coming over. Mm-hmm. And Fran's like, oh, I love her. You know, like Fran's like a huge fan of Al's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so many ideas. Bring me with ideas this week. Um, it's because it's a Thursday, not a Sunday. We're always more energetic for some reason. Well, by anyway. Sunday, we've drowned those ideas with tequila. <laughs> um, so then, oh yeah, Fran has beat Mr. Sheffield. He's completely overreacting. And so Fran takes Niles aside in the living room and Gracie's also sitting there like reading a book and Fran's like, Niles, he's really going off the deep end about this. Like, you know what I think this means? And then Gracie puts down her book and she goes, the daddy's inability to deal with minor setbacks is an indication of a larger underlying emotional problem. <laughs> and so we've got little wise Gracie again. She's back. Uh, to be she's fair, back. she is reading a psychology book. Yeah, she's back she's- when we need her back. And sometimes she's a kid when they need a kid. But hey, what do we <laughs> What are we going to do about it? Um, but so Fran is sort of like, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to book a therapy session for him. But, you know, the family also knows they can never actually get Mr. Sheffield to agree to go to therapy. So the plan is to bring him under false pretenses to Gracie's therapist um, by saying like, oh, Gracie's therapist needs to talk to us about her. Really, it will be a session for you. I have a question where I was like, do you think she told the therapist this was her plan beforehand? Because it seems a little unethical. <laughs> I it don't does. know. I don't know if that's allowed. Who knows? But it regardless- does. <laughs> it's very unethical. <laughs> You've been tricked. You've been hoodwinked into, yeah, hoodwinked exactly. into uh, therapy, into self-growth. Um, yeah. But so they, we then cut to Gracie's therapy, therapist's office and it's Fran and Mr. Sheffield and uh, a receptionist comes in and is like, oh, you know, Dr. Bork couldn't make it today. So um, we have one of his this was colleagues. was so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have, or I guess, one of her colleagues um, sort of as a substitute. Mm-hmm. And at first, Fran's like, no, no, I don't want to see anybody else. But then Dr. Joyce Brothers walks in. Uh, right. Time out. <laughs> time out. Did you remember who this is? Uh, yeah. If someone said Dr. Joyce Brothers, I might not know. I would think of a little blonde woman and I would think advice columnist, therapist lady. Like, okay. Yeah. Interesting. See, and I, before they went there, immediately went to, oh, the Hollywood Squares lady. 
Oh, wow. That was my first thought as I was like, oh, it's the lady, the doctor from Hollywood Squares. I never knew what she really did, but I saw her very often on Hollywood Squares growing up as a kid and being like, oh, yeah, it's a doctor. Her and the other one was when when they first said in this episode, oh, she's not going to be here, but we have another doctor. My first thought was, oh, it's going to be Dr. Ruth or somebody. Because that was the other Hollywood Squares doctor who you would see who was like, and I know her. She was like the sex lady. You know, mm-hmm. like I knew that and I thought, oh, that'll be funny. And um, but I wasn't is- e- expecting this. And this lady actually was very funny. <laughs> yes. And well, it's interesting that you say that that's how you, that's your context for her because that's going to tie into trivia later. Um, mm. Because this definitely was an, I guess I was going to say this was an era. It's still an era. We still have Dr. Phil, we have Dr. Oz, but of like yeah. these quote unquote professionals sort of um, use, leveraging it to segue into celebrity, which yep. uh, is a little sub uh, suspect. Yeah. But so, you know, Dr. Joyce was, you know, she wrote a lot of books on popular psychology. She had a radio show. She was like a well-known personality of the time. And, um, you know, at first Mr. Sheffield is really resistant to this session, but he ultimately, you know, kind of reveals that what's really eating at him is that, even after having every opportunity and advantage in the world and coming from a lot of privilege, he has like not amounted to much. And um, I wrote, you know, he's recognizing his privilege. And I thought that was pretty progressive for a rich Republican yeah. dude in 1996. Me too. <laughs> like, Me yeah. Too. It, it, I, I, I perked up at that little speech because I was like, oh, wow, that's very introspective for a guy to be like, look, I – it's not that he's like, I'm depressed and I don't see that I like have it made. It's quite the opposite. He's like, look, I have all of this stuff, but like, that doesn't mean I've done anything. I've like barely made it, you know, yes. like, and I, I've coasted on like the money that I have. And yeah, I get it. That's hey man. It's, it's all too real, Maxwell. Yes. And he's like, cause the thing is he had really thought that this most recent show that was a flop was going to be like his cats, you know, yeah. because he, he, he's not, you know, we, we, sometimes don't fully get this idea because sometimes, you know, people are like, you're Maxwell Sheffield, famous producer, but he is like B team in that world. Like he's he not makes considered- like moderate. He makes like moderate hits that are like almost never critically acclaimed, it seems. And mm-hmm. so like people know his name cause he's done a bunch of stuff, but he doesn't have the prestige of like, you know, wow, this guy is really like producing great shows. It's interesting. They're really putting him through the ringer because this is like comes right off the heels of like the last episode where he's like struggling with his masculinity so much and he's like desperate to be seen as like masculine. And and now he's like going through it with like, you know, his, his like whether or not he's worth any, his self-worth mm-hmm. is now on the line. It's interesting. This episode um, depressed me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I'm gone. Uh, but well, so we then cut to the kitchen several days later. Niles and Fran are there, and Cece comes running in in a panic because she's like, Maxwell just called me. He says he's quitting the theater. Like, he is out of the industry. And then, you know, uh, he no sooner does she say that, does he come down the stairs. He's in a ridiculous, like, kind of, quote, unquote, hip outfit, you know, like, tight jeans, a black shirt. He's he is just da- like the boys from 90210 at the time. That's, totally. That's, he, that's how they dressed him. He's in like, it, and which is I I didn't realize until watching this, but like it's so interesting how '90s young men's fashion was just like an update throwback to greaser fashion because that's what like yeah. all of the like 
all the people that were in charge of fashion at that point had grew up in like greaser era. So, and like, cause he looked like a greaser, mm-hmm. but like not. Cause then if you look at like Jason Priestley of the era, he also had like a weird, like James Dean thing going. And it's like, where does this come from? Absolutely. Like, yeah. And so that's uh, what that, that's what made me think of. Yeah. It's, it's also funny now because now certain trends for women from the nineties are so in, but yeah. that particular trend is definitely not in for men right now. <laughs> No, 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 no. If anything, we've gone the other way now. We're like, now men's fashion seems to be like, um, you know, updated fascism. <laughs> like, those weird, like, you know, those like Nazi youth haircuts that everyone's Ooh, getting. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, makes, that, makes us very uncomfortable. <laughs> but, makes me very uncomfortable anyway. <laughs> um, hey, just be grateful you have a big head of hair at your age and you can have any haircut you want. That's what, that's what your pep talk will be at the end of this. Thank you. But so, um, oh, Mr. Sheffield, speaking of hair, he's even dyed his gray streak, which makes Fran irate because she had always wanted to dye it for him. And so he kind of comes in, he's very much like, bada beep, bada boop, like, what's the big deal? Like, I've decided I'm just going to, you know, enjoy the rest of the time I have on this earth and I'm going to like stop trying and I'm just going to enjoy life. And he like walks out and they're all like, oh God, what are we going to do? This is just bad news for all of us. Um, Especially Cece, who would be out of a job. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But so um, it, this episode was so breezy that, you know, we're almost at the wrap up at this point because Fran then that evening goes to her mom's house or her mom mm-hmm. and dad's apartment in Queens. And she's like, mom, like, what do I do? Like Mr. Sheffield's having this huge midlife crisis. And so he goes, <laughs> marry him. <laughs> and Fran goes, that's not going to fix the problem. And she goes, who cares? We should at least be happy. (laughs) Once again, Sylvia shows up to absolutely like destroy everything she's in. She's so good. Um, And so, but, and so then there's this aggressive honk outside the apartment complex and Fran looks out the window and it's Mr. Sheffield. He has shown up in this over the top Porsche Porsche, I don't know. Um, it's red. It's flashy. It screams midlife crisis. And he's like, "Miss Fine, like, come on down. I just bought this new car." Which she then goes down the fire escape well, instead of the stairs. Well, it triggers Fran's. Well, yeah, because it triggers Fran's mom, Sylvia, to go like, "You better get down there. All of the neighborhood women are gonna sh- like, f- like flock him." And then we get this was like my favorite. I loved this this moment where like all of these like women are like these like. <laughs> Fran sort of clones are just like <laughs> lurking around his car and they're like leering at him. It's so funny. And they're like, oh, hey, do you need a lady? <laughs> so Fran like 
kind of frantically climbs down the fire escape <laughs> to get there quickly. <laughs> it's really good. It's a really I, good bit. And she's like, shoo, she's like, get out of here, get out of here. And she's like, Debbie, you're engaged. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, shame on you. For- yeah, she's like really mad at these. She literally treats them like she's shooing off like – Bolt. Like when you go to when you go to like a, a petting zoo and there's like too many baby goats near you and you're like, come on, get back, everybody, get back, get back. <laughs> yes. So she she you know climbs down there and she gets over to him and then she shoes all these women away and then they just have this really nice kind of um, calm conversation where they're sort of like walking the block together and sitting on a stoop. And Mr. Sheffield, he sort of reiterates again, he's like, you know, he's like, maybe you don't understand because we were, you know, raised so differently. But I I had the best education money could buy. You know, I was set up for, you know, to be able to do whatever I wanted because I had so much privilege and I still didn't do that much. Um, and I was like, this could be considered low-key insulting to Fran if she was a different type of person because I think she yes. was like – he's like, you know, I wasn't raised like you. You know, I wasn't just raised to find a husband. And I was like, but to be fair, that is kind of how Fran was raised. So yeah. <laughs> there is truth to it. Um, but yeah, I mean it's, it's not an insult because he isn't – he's not generalizing or, or – or stereotyping anything, he's he's saying like you know you're you were raised in a much more loving household, but also a household that like you know di- like directed you to- towards wanting different things, and I was like not really given that you know. Well, like- and here's the thing though, I would say he didn't even at, uh, I think acknowledge or understand or realize the loving household part p- household part of it. He was more just in the zone of like you know I was I had so much money and I was you know push towards a certain track and and that and I had advantages that you didn't have. But that's when Fran kind of turns it around on him and gives him this really like I think lovely perspective where she's like, "Well, yeah, you had certain advantages that I didn't, but you know, you were also sent away to boarding school at 6 years old." And she's like, "You know, did yeah. did you ever get to run into your parents' bedroom when you were scared during a thunderstorm? Like, where were your mom and dad when you lost your first tooth? And it's very clear that, you know, Mr. Tubbill doesn't have any of those memories or experiences because he was, you know, raised in this, like, cold, emotional void. And she's it's like, so you know, huh, I know. And she's like, you know, <laughs> I actually think I had the privileged childhood, you know, yeah. when framed in that way. And, and then she's also like, you know, and a lot of people with your kind of money would have just rested on their laurels and spent their life, you know, jet setting and sitting on yachts. Like you came to this country all on your own and you decided to work. Like you didn't have to. And you raised three wonderful children, even though you're emotionally dysfunctional and you, you know, and you did it on your own. And, and he, this really does make him feel better where he's like, oh yeah, like I have, I had certain types of advantages, but I also had certain disadvantages because my parents were horrible. (laughs) Um, so, you know, and I, I was like, that's, that's really sweet. And it was a real conversation. And we've often talked about like, oh, is this show ever going to sort of like check Mr. Sheffield's privilege? And I think this was a really nice, like way to handle it in the context of like 22 minutes where you're not going to get that deep into, you know, these issues, but, um, yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed, I thought this segment was really, first of all, we should acknowledge we don't really get a lot of 
these types of scenes just from a direction standpoint like we we i don't think we've ever really gotten like two people walking through multiple city blocks before on this show mm-hmm. um it's normally like you know it's a sitcom so it's it's three cameras it's very stagnant usually this was like really pretty and it and it was like nice and it fit this scene really like i was glad that they chose to do this instead of setting this scene like in the kitchen or in the living room or you know there was like a life to this and it made Mm -hmm. it feel almost more real and grounded that it was just like the two of them just kind of like having this like rational like discussion. Um, So yeah, I I thought this was great. I also remember, well, let's, let's finish up the episode and then we can talk about sort of where this episode sits in like nineties sitcom Mm -hmm. world. Uh, Well, we have that really lovely conversation and then we just end in a, well, the sex joke, uh, because then he's like, well, what do you, he's like, well, Miss Fine, like now that I'm feeling better, what do you, you know, say we like go out on one last hurrah? And you're like, is he, is he saying they should do it or something? Cut to them in this absurd car, which he clearly doesn't really know how to drive. And he's not even used to driving on this side of the road. And the car is like, bumping up and down and he's going really fast and Fran's like "Uh, uh," and he's like oh god oh god it's clearly like you know metaphor for sex and then the car uh stalls and just putters out and then she's like (laughs) and then she's like i just had a flashback to my (laughs) ex-boyfriend uh you know so clearly yeah yeah so that's that was how that ended but it was it was still fine (laughs) it was fine yeah, it was cute. Like it was very cheesy, but yeah. it was like like they needed a funny button because they couldn't just end it on like this like very loving conversation because that's not how comedy works. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it was fine. Uh, but this was a, a very very good episode, and I think now we should talk about some segments. Segments. And now segments. So segments yeah no i think we should move on to segments i to say we can move on to our segments and now segments segments uh with sean and toria <laughs> favorite lines and moments uh well i think my favorite moment in the whole episode was the walk through the city i really liked it a lot mm-hmm. thought it was great um favorite lines i liked in the very beginning there was a line about um fran wanting to learn um Tennis. tennis. Oh, I have this line and, too. Yeah. And then her going, eh, but you know, it's a big time commitment. And I had career aspirations. And Gracie goes, What happened? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's almost it's an even funnier it's setup it's because old. she goes, she goes, Fran goes, you know, I always wanted to learn to play tennis. And then Gracie goes, What happened? And then she goes, Well, you know, it's right, a big right. time commitment. And I was very career oriented. And then there's another beat. And then Gracie goes, What happened? <laughs> what happened? Why aren't you so, career oriented? Oh, gee. Like, why um, is it also like, better? I also like Fran. Brighton was like, you know, hey, I'll teach you how to do. What, what was he? Is he going to teach? He's her like, tennis? I can teach you tennis if yeah. you want. Yeah, and she's like, no, I'm going to go talk to this sexy guy over there first and see if he'll teach me tennis. And she like walks off screen and comes immediately back in, and she's like, all right, I'm all yours, Brighton. And they all like, <laughs> you know, are like, okay. And I, my note was that like. I kind of like how the whole family is just losers, but like they're in it together, you know? Yeah. It's really cute. Anyway, yeah. that was fun. Um, and yeah. then also there was a line later on where they, they're they talking about Maxwell 
and they go, he's got no sense of humor. That's why his comedies are a flop. <laughs> yes. N- Niles goes, he has no yeah. sense of humor. That's why his shows always fail. <laughs> <laughs> well, he says that's why his comedies always fail yeah. specifically, which is such a mean, <laughs> like the guy can't even pick a good comedy. He has such a little, like a bad sense of humor. <laughs> It's yeah, not like he's writing it, them. <laughs> it does track, though. It, Mr. Sheffield does yeah. seem like he wouldn't really be able to pick out a good Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really like this line where um, after they kind of realize that Mr. Sheffield's going through something, she goes, oh, at least this isn't like when my father had his midlife crisis. He wanted Ma to get into swinging. And Cece goes, oh, right. well, she, Cece's like, well, what happened? And she goes, the swingers saw them. <laughs> <laughs> So mean. <laughs> you can't even get into it. And then I, I mentioned a ton of my favorite lines throughout because I, I just like mm-hmm. them so much already. Um, for Yiddish, I don't know if we've had this one yet, but it is an obvious one. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. Tukis, which just means oh. your tush. It's your I bottom. I think we've had Tukis We had to have Tukis. A little Tukis. Come on. Well, because my, Fran, after My grandma beating- used to say, I'll give you a pot and Tukis. She will spank your little bum. But she would only do it. She would go like, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> so cute. Very cute. Well, um, she goes when she comes back with Mr. Sheffield, she's like, who cares? No one was even keeping score. And then she turns to Nat Elsa and goes, I creamed his little English Tukis. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Trivia? This isn't really nanny trivia. This is Dr. Joyce Brothers trivia because when I Googled her, I went down a rabbit hole and it was fascinating. I like to be the voice of the the listener at home going, oh, god damn it. They're not going to do nanny trivia this week. Not even nanny trivia. I like to imagine someone in their car punching their radio. (laughs) Someone just throwing a full plate of food across the room. (laughs) Smashing their phone. So here's the thing. Well, Dr. Joyce Brothers, you know, was a famous psychologist. Yeah. She was first made famous in 1955 when she was just in her 20s. A porn star. <laughs> Better. Or should I say oh. worse? Um, oh. She won the $64,000 question game show. There was a question <clears throat> called the $64,000 question, which was the sort of which was the equivalent of like who wants to be a millionaire. She was like a game show winner and then Well, and then, so here's what? the thing, which is funny that she was then in Hollywood Squares. Um when she so she was a woman who she had gone to, and this is actually incredibly impressive for somebody in the 1950s. She had gotten her undergraduate degree from Cornell and then she went and got her degree in psychology from Columbia. She was literally in her 20s, this little blonde. You can see the very old black and white footage of this episode on YouTube. Interesting. And she had, you know, and the $64,000 question, it um, filmed in New York. So she decided to go to, you know, like a pre-interview and, you know, kind of like apply to be on it. And she apparently told them in the initial interview that, you know, she could answer questions about like homemaking or psychology. And they said, eh, you know, to be honest, like we like to cast against type. Like that's what makes contestants interesting, like unexpected. They're like, you know, you have way more likely getting on this show if you were an expert in like football or boxing or something. And so she went back home and she spent like the next eight weeks completely absorbing herself in boxing trivia. And she became like a trivia, like in savant in boxing. So then she goes back and reapplies and says she's this little homemaker in her 20s who is a boxing expert. And they cast her. And she first became very famous because 
uh, she made like the, she got like the easy, it's the way that the show would work is I think you'd first appear and do like a $4,000 question. And then you get to come back the next week and you do like a 16,000. It would up and up. So she did the $4,000 question kind of easy peasy. They then, the story goes, they didn't actually want her to win. They wanted this other contestant to win. Um, So when she got to her $16,000 question, they give her four questions that are like literally some of the most obscure, difficult questions you've ever heard about boxing. And she answers all of them. Mm. And they're like, holy shit. She's a little weirdo. Yeah, she's a little weirdo. And so then she ends up making it and like winning. for her. Um, wow. But this is where the story gets incredibly strange. Oh my That's God. Not even the this is going to be longer than the episode. <laughs> Here's the thing. The show ended up getting a huge amount of legal heat from the New York Attorney General's office because they decided that there's no way these contestants actually know these answers and that this show is a fraud and that they are giving these contestants the answers beforehand. Well, this is like the movie Quiz Show. Yeah, or the new Nathan Field. This, this reminds me of that new Nathan Fielder episode, actually, because they, they basically accused up. the show yes. of like fraudulent behavior. And the New York Attorney General, I don't know why this was a priority, but uh, took the show to court in a huge national scandal. Dr. Joyce Brothers had to be interviewed by a New York grand jury for six hours. And where a lot of this was just peppering her with boxing questions, all of which she answered. So they like couldn't prove that the show was like actually so weird. cheating. I can't believe this happened again. I mean, you know, you know, Quiz Show, right? You know that movie, Quiz Show. No. Oh, first of all, great movie, nineteen ninety four, directed by Robert Redford. Fantastic movie. Uh, Ray Fiennes is in it. Uh, John Turturro is in it. Uh, uh, I, I mean, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, but what it's about is it's a dramatization of the twenty one um, Quiz Show scandals of the nineteen fifties which is where a uh, U.S. congressional lawyer investigated accusations of game show fixing by the show producers. This was like a big, big deal and led to like all of the rules and stuff that govern like modern game day game shows. So it's interesting that, that, that this then repeated itself, it sounds like, a couple years later with, um, with the pyramid, uh, with uh, – Oh yeah, sixty-four thousand dollar question. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's about, this yeah. is what so, it must be based on. Well, so no, so the the uh, quiz show majority of quiz show is accurate to real life events, although it had artistic license. Blah blah blah. Um, for legal reasons, alterations had to be made to Matthew Rosenhaus, who was the CEO of the company that owned uh, Geritol at the time. His name was changed. Um, and his personality reflected that of Charles Revson, who was the president of the cosmetics brand Revlon that sponsored another quiz show that was part of the same scandal, $64,000 question. So this is all part of the same scandal. So mm-hmm. the thing you're talking about was turned into a movie called Quiz Show. Everyone should go watch it if you haven't seen it. It is truly, truly a fantastic movie. Like, great movie. I'm shocked you haven't seen it, Toria. You'll love no, this movie. I have to watch it. But anyway, the whole th- that is what... Dr. Joyce Brothers first made headlines for in her life. Fascinating. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. I, I've seen Quiz Show a million times. I didn't realize she was – they don't really bring her into that. And I guess because she wasn't like an important enough or like a large enough part of the whole thing, you know, and, and because there was like other game shows that were involved in this. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. – Well, there crazy. you go. There you go. And right. then for the Fran or the Cece, I said – I feel like I was Mr. Sheffield and sounds like you did too. 
<laughs> yeah, I miss your Sheffield in this episode. <sighs> I don't want to talk about it, Toria. So, uh, yeah, I just think it's interesting that a lot of shows at this time did midlife crisis episodes and they all portrayed them in very similar ways where it was like the guy dyes his hair and he gets a Ferrari and he, you know, changes the way he dresses. And I don't know, when I hit midlife, I just got like sad kind of, I didn't want to, I didn't get that desire to do any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think it's because you, you're more depressive than these people because these people are, are all uh, attempting to uh, feel differently by recapturing youth or buying clothes or or things that are going to make them feel different, whereas you've just submitted to feeling bad. No, I, I see. I mean, that's one way to look at it, but I look at it like I have evolved to the point where I understand that those things aren't what's going to actually fix the problem. Like, I like I. Why would I waste my time and money going and buying like a really expensive car? That's not going to mm-hmm, make me feel better, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't really need to like. I also don't have that like my hitting 40s wasn't like, I need to relive my youth. I'm old. Like I I feel young. I don't need to relive my youth. I'm surrounded by like toys and comic books that I love. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's not the problem. (laughs) If anything, if anything, those are the problem. (laughs) No, No, my babies. (laughs) Uh, All right. But listen, that's neither here nor there because we've, we've reached the end and I need to remind folks that, um, if they want to make me feel better and or worse about uh, my li- midlife crises, they can find us on Oh Mr. Chef Pod on, on Twitter and Instagram. That's Oh Mr. Chef Pod with two Fs and and one P. Um, <laughs> and then also, if you love the show or if you only feel the, you know, nothing, just, just disconnected emptiness for the show, uh, or if you hate it. Please leave a five star review and <laughs> and rate it and uh, and share it with your friends and um, or if you hate it, share it with your enemies and punish them. Um, either way, it gets more people to listen, which is good for everybody. And uh, on that note, Toria, you know, I think it's time to say time goodbye. To say goodbye. Okay, so long, yeah. farewell. We'll see you guys next Bye-bye. week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Alfie the same. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> the flashing girl from Flushing, the nanny named Fran. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Are you, uh, uh, me, Miss Fine. <laughs> <laughs>